This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 172 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Equestrian Collections and Kentucky Performance Products. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. With us today is Glenn, our producer. Hey, guys. Hey, Glenn. Good to talk to you again this week. As always, same for you guys. Hopefully it's been a good week for everyone. Yeah, we've had we had a great week. We had a we had a horse show over the weekend, and we're going to talk um, with Jenny Carroll a little bit later about the Pony Cup that happened at the horse show where I was at the horse park. But we had a great show, really great. Well, that's nice. I've, I mean, I've heard of this Pony Club Cup thing, but I don't know anything about it. I teach a couple of ponies, but uh, it'll be interesting to hear about this big uh, big pony show. That's uh, I guess it's getting bigger and bigger too. It is, and I will tell you, they had great prizes. So my pony is going again <laughs> next year. Well, in dressage in Europe, you know the pony classes and the pony riders—it's—it's it's huge. I mean, it's—I mean, maybe not as big as the the horse sport, but I mean, they—they've got all kinds of warm blood ponies out there, and uh, I mean, you can really get into it if 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 you want to. Yeah, and I think ponies actually add a, a great option for adult amateurs. Uh, we have a wonderful pony in, in our barn. Um, she's a Connemara, and she was a driving pony, so she understands sort of the frame and how she's supposed to go, and she's pretty darn fancy, uh, but she's fun for an amateur to ride. And um, and she's been a great uh, resource for, uh, you know, moms that want to ride and have a horse themselves, but also have a horse that's good enough for their kids. So I think it's a really good option to look for for a lot of people and and they can usually do both roles she looks kind of funny philip in the dressage ring though with the blinders on <laughs> you're silly, Glenn. i'm not sure that's allowed Glenn, you're silly. <laughs> yeah so um yeah philip how was your week it was good also uh coaching at a show this weekend uh it was rainy and mucky and not so much fun but uh the riders all did really well, and the horses dealt with the with the footing and all that really well. So, uh, you know, in the end, had a good show, and uh, you know, we'll continue on with with the weather that we have and the warm weather that we have left up here. You know, we're looking at one or two months before uh, before the snow comes in. That s word I don't like to say. <laughs> yeah, I'll be thinking about you, Glenn, and I will be thinking about you from the Sunshine State. That's all yeah, I yeah, say. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> Floridians, right? <laughs> so I have to ask you a question, Philip. Uh, I, yeah. I want your take on this. Um, we also had some pretty bad weather come through on Saturday morning at the horse show. How do you feel about scratching and bad weather and bad footing? Uh, well, it's all down to kind of, you know, how good the footing is and um, and the horse, you know. I mean, I'm not one that just scratches on principle. You know, and uh, I think even if the if the warm up is a little bit okay, or you know, at this show they designated a grass warm up area. So I said to some of my riders, um, you know, go and warm up. If you feel terrible, then we'll scratch. Or if you go into the ring and you go around, and or at any point in the test you don't feel like you're confident about the footing, then then scratch at that point. You know, it's uh, but uh, you know you you bring the horses to the show. You know, in this case we were only there one day. 
Um, you know, kind of give it a shot. I mean, uh, at most shows they allow for boots and bandages and, and bad footings. So, you know, that's, that's the bonus. We, we boot them up. We bandage them as much as possible. That must be a Canadian rule. Cause that doesn't yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, that's not, well, that stewards, doesn't happen here. The stewards, you know, you just, you talk to the stewards and, and the judges and they, they are okay with it. I mean, I've had it happen at, let's see, three shows this year where the footing was a really? little dicey and they said, oh, bandage is fine. So, that, yeah, that's good. Maybe. That would change my opinion a lot of times. Um, I kind of feel the same way, um, but I have to say uh, our our footing was really bad. It was really – and the storm came through right at 8 o'clock, actually 7.50 was because I was walking to the arena on my horse. And um, we were able to scoot in one of the barns at the horse park. Uh, and then they, they went on a one-hour delay. But I have to be honest, I'm, I am always a little cautious, especially if the horses have qualified and sort of reached their goal for the year. Uh, I did scratch my horses, and um, it was beautiful weather at the end of the day, of course, after they were supposed to be ridden. And so I rode them later in the day, but they had the, ne- the next day, and, uh, you know, both of them did well schooling. So, uh, But I always think, I always like to ask trainers, I think it's always a question um, for different people, uh, what do you do in bad weather? Because I think it's worth thinking about for sure oh yeah i mean and like i said horse by horse some horses just really are not confident in that kind of footing and then it's not worth it sort of thing or you know if there's huge puddles in the ring or the rings underwater then i mean what's the point you know but uh yeah i guess it's just on a you know on on a situational basis yeah, I, I, I agree. Well, I just was curious on, on what you guys do. So, uh, Well, on the bad weather front, I don't mean to bring the show down here, but I want to give our best. I won't name names here, but uh, we live in an equestrian community down here in Florida. And, we, you know, in Florida, we get storms every day. Three o'clock, it's storm time, and the th- first thunderbolt hits. And, you know, the next hour, it's storming and raining and pouring like, like cats and dogs. Um, but unfortunately, I heard that there was a dressage horse here in the neighborhood that was killed by lightning last week, um, about two streets over from us. Uh, oh. So, you know, that's the, <clears throat> and it's, you know, that always brings up the old discussion that we all have is, you know, are they safer in the barn or outside during storms, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, getting hit by lightning is not something that happens often. But, uh, boy, it does happen. And it does. In Kentucky, it actually, lightning is a really big issue here. We have to be very, very careful with storms. Glenn, you remember, you know, what they're like here. And they will call shows if the first bolt of lightning, they they don't mess around, around up up here. Um, So, and actually, I was struck by lightning when I was younger. I was was running out to the barn. Yeah. I was running out to my barn to close the barn doors. Uh, Now, now I don't do that. Uh, And it struck right above my head. And I was touching the metal doors and I got. I got blown backwards, and um, yeah, holy I, uh, cow! I didn't oh know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little little factoid. Yep. And I had swollen a whole swollen mouth, and um, you know, my dad's a physician, so uh, he called his friend. You know, what do you do? But apparently, when you get struck by lightning, your electrolytes kind of go crazy. So they monitored me, and I was okay. You know, now you know if I'm a little crazy. What That's happened, why she's but... so high energy, Philip. Yeah, exactly. Extra <laughs> electricity <laughs> to her personality. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You all know, but no, I, I'm very. I'm actually really terrified of lightning. So I'm. I, I will leave them exactly where they are, and I am in the house. I don't care. You know, at that point, I'm out of there. Yeah, I mean that could be scary. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, you don't horse show or do anything really. I mean, with lightning around, that's that's a scary. 
I got to tell you, though, my wife being a horse person, you know, has always been a little lax about, you know, walking around the middle of thunderstorms and lightning and everything. She's always been very lax about it. And yet her brother has been hit by lightning a couple times because he was a Green Beret and he, he was the radio guy. So he had the antenna. Um, and he got hit a couple of times when he was over uh, in the war, actually, in Af- uh, over in Afghanistan. And um, yet she's always been very careless about it. Now, since we've moved to Florida, for some reason she's gotten more careful because for some reason it, storms just seem wicked down here. But, um, yeah, something to, something to uh, think about. Don't play in the lightning. No, don't. Yeah. Very dangerous. But we have a great show today. We have Who else Roz, is on the show? We have Roz Kinsler. Uh, she was uh, a trainer at the Para Dressage Games in London, and she has a wonderful story on, on her and her rider. And we also have Gina Smith doing our trainer tip. Yeah, she's a Canadian rider, Grand Prix rider, Olympian herself, and was the chef to keep at London. Um, but we'll be talking about a trainer tip and, and see what she's got for us today. I think it sounds great. And uh, this week, it was there wasn't a lot going on in the news. There were some horse shows in Europe, but there was an interesting article that came out uh, in the Chronicle of the Horse by Ann Gribbins. The Olympics uh, were everything we feared, uh, which was an interesting article. Philip, did you get a chance to read it? I did actually, and uh, it was it was uh, you know like you said, interesting and and a great perspective on on how to improve. Things in the U.S. I think you know in the U.S. a lot of things apply to Canada too. I mean, being you know neighbors, um, and Anne was talking about needing to get out, getting the horses and the competitors out to Europe to compete against the Europeans, you know, before you jump into the Olympics or you know to have an idea about uh, you know how you how you how you look on the world stage. I mean, Europe is still that place to go, right? And uh, she's supporting that idea. Um, and and further depth in in the in the U.S. team, yeah, and money huh. and how we get the funding because I think she made a great point and and a lot of the riders uh, in England and in Europe all they have to do is ride they don't have to ride and teach and clinic and sell horses and you know to make a living and and I think a lot of riders in North America have to do that and that really does take away. Uh, your ability to prepare, your your ability to t- take time in your fitness, your mental fitness. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting uh, concept. Is is we do need more funding, and I think that's right. So you know, I, it's, it's a good article. When when this article we've discussed it in a couple of the other shows too, because it, it's caused some conversation for sure. And I think that that has to be so frustrating being a professional rider, reading this article and going, okay, this is all great, but how do I do it? You know, how do I make a living, go over there for months and months and months and months and not be able to teach my lessons and do and run my business and do my barn and all of that and still be able to accomplish all of this with, with the limited funding that we do have? It's, it's difficult. It's got to be frustrating. It is. I, I would say when I was competing Casper internationally, uh, that was the hardest part. And, and I, had, I had help. I had help from my family. Uh, I had help from people in my area. Um, and that was great, uh, but there's still, there's a tremendous amount of stress and it wasn't enough. Uh, you know, there, there still were things that I would have liked to have done, but I just didn't have the funding and, and it's very, very hard. And it's the, I think the hardest thing, unless you have a big time sponsor that is just paying your salary and, and paying for everything, uh, it's something we all have to work on. 
And you have to hope, too, when you're looking at the business side of it, you have to hope that the time you get home, uh, you know, after being gone for months, that your clients are still there. They've obviously gotten training from somebody in the meantime. So you have that worry, too, that you're going to have your business when you get home, that it's going to be there. Um, it's tough. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very hard. And, and if you, when you are gone, you have to fly home. So when you fly home to teach your riders at home, then somebody has to be there with your horses wherever they are and keeping them fed and it it's it is very very difficult without uh everything being paid for and even I mean, then on, there's plenty on, of challenges. A, yeah i'm on a smaller scale even you know for a lot of riders going to florida where you know the winter um competition series is i mean you you're, you're facing some of the same things and it's not even as far as going to europe so i just uh I don't know, you know, without tremendous personal wealth, how, how, how it's going to happen. Yeah, no, it's the same. I think we all face that. Um, so, and, and as, and, and my clients are great. I, they are really, uh, and I hope that everyone can do that. And, and that is, I need to go away for a couple months to work on myself. And, and, and most of my clients are, are really good about it. Um, and I do fly home to do clinics every couple weeks to check on everybody. So, um, yeah, it's it's challenging. So, I'd like to introduce Roz Kinsler, trainer for Dale Derrick at the Paralympic uh, Equestrian Games in 2012. Roz, welcome to the Dressage Radio Show. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you very much. It's certainly my my pleasure. Well, we are all looking forward to hearing all about your experience at the Paralympic Games in London. So, tell us about it. <laughs> well, it was. Certainly, uh, truly, the experience of a lifetime, and nothing that that we ever thought we'd be doing. You know, Dale and I, uh, when we started this whole thing 15 months ago, the whole point was to see, quite literally, could Dale survive a horse show? And you know, she has many physical issues, and uh, so we did the first show, and then she saw something about para online and said, "Well, let's try that." So we did. Went to Socrates and nobody knew who the heck we were. Went to our first national championship in uh, 2011, and she wound up reserve champion. So that was like kind of fun. Wow. And we just kept going. Yeah, it was amazing. And you know, we went down to Florida. She, you know, rode in the CPEDIs down there, and this whole team thing kind of took on a life of its own. And it was just wild to follow it. It was really, really fun. Um, the horse was, was a great little horse, and uh, Dale had ridden quite a bit, you know, before she uh, she has lupus, ongoing lupus, and then there's all kinds of associated issues. But had quit riding for a while, so like I said, at least I didn't have to make up all the basics for her, and that was great. But uh, the whole experience of flying the horse, and you know, and, and getting there, and being on the venue, it, it was just really amazing, <laughs> amazing, amazing, very fun. Roz, can you tell us a little bit more about your rider, what level that she that she rides at and uh, and how maybe your relationship with her started and how long you've been working together? Sure. Um, Dale is a grade two rider and, you know, if you understand the grades, there are five pair of grades. Um, there are two grades within grade one that's the most severely uh, disabled and uh, two grade two would be a approximately second level, but they don't canter in their tests. Um, and then three, it's the second level plus, and grade four is right a third level plus. Um, Dale has been riding with me for about four years. She had ridden 
I want to say close to 20 years ago, at the Grand Prix level. She wrote one of the last Olympic festivals, but her lupus really sidelined her. And when she came to me four years ago, she hadn't been riding at all. You know, this was just truly to just see if she could still do it. She had a cute little mare, but was not really the right match for her. So we were we placed that horse and um, found this one in our backyard, uh, truly by an accident. And he just seemed to be very appropriate. We worked together five days a week, you know, and... In coaching her, I mean, the biggest thing, my biggest takeaway from this whole thing is I, I teach her like I do all my other students, and I've been teaching a long time. Um, the only thing that varies with our routine is usually I'll warm the horse up for her so he's ready to go, but then she's ready to take the reins and, and continue on. And, you know, I, I would ask her, and I do this every day when she rides, to ride. Nothing is patronizing is what I'm trying to say. Um, I expect the same level of performance from her as I do anybody. I just have to be careful of her endurance level. But that's it. Nothing else. And over time, you know, her, say her gift to me, and I do have another para rider too, is I really don't see the handicap. She's just another one of our group, another horse in training, and a, a serious competitor. So, Raz, tell us a little bit about what happened. You, you, you got the horse ready. You flew to England. And what? take us from there. Oh, okay. Well, we went to actually, we went to Gladstone for a training camp uh, right before we left in uh, the beginning of August, and it got the team kind of galvanized. Then we flew over um, to England, uh, to the dates, about it, we had a week, week's worth in Jersey, and then we flew to England, stayed at a place in Surrey, England for about a week, um, right near the Epsom race course, and that was very fun gave the horses a chance to rest up from the flight and we could train very seriously there um, before the, the venue actually opened up. Then we shipped over to the venue itself and uh, set up shop there. We had a little bump in the road, uh, a rule change that we hadn't known about in this country. We've been competing normally for the grade, grade one, both ones and twos. The trainer is allowed to ride the horse on a loose rein and then you're allowed 30 minutes stewarded once a day and that's how we've our whole show plan is prepared well when we got there it turns out the trainers were only allowed on the horse's back regardless loose rein or on you know working for 30 minutes well that was a big change in our program um it meant very limited exercise time and away for the horse so when we got on site what we i added to his program is a little bit of lunging these horses weren't turned out at all you know it's quite a bit different for them and all four of them were great to adjust to it, but it did take a little twist in training. But they, they certainly rose to the occasion. But that was kind of a surprise at the last minute. Yeah, sure. Very different. And the other little rule, too, that makes that trickier is that, it, and they still leave this, is the tra- trainer has to be off the horse's back, ready or not, 15 minutes prior to the rider's time. So it, it was a little bit of a difference in timing. But, you know, obviously we made it work. And what was the whole Paralympics experience like? Were you able to go out and see some other events or were you just focused on on the riding or um, what was that like? Well, I had the advantage of staying in the the village and that was amazing. You know, it was just an amazing experience. We lived sort of in a dormitory. It was like being back in school. But um, 
to give you an idea, there is a huge dining hall there where everybody came and went, all different kinds of food. But my hobby at night is to see, all right, what new country was here? I mean, I saw like Rwanda had people there, the Congo, every Asian country, even Vietnam. And that was astounding to see. Um, it, it was really quite exciting. Because of the the equestrian venue was not, it was about a 20-minute bus ride and we wanted to be there for our team members. There really wasn't enough time for us to see other events. Some of the other team members stayed on longer so they could go visit, you know, and do that. But, you know, with four people riding and we certainly all wanted to be there for one another. We didn't, didn't really have the free time I expected to. But... Um, Within, we had a, it was a very cool thing they did. They have a welcome ceremony for every country, which is not part of the opening ceremonies. And we were paired with um, Costa Rica and the Congo. That they, you know, each country is introduced, and um, there was a delegate from each country's group of athletes that presented a, a gift. And that also was a great experience. They had a little performance arranged, they played the country's anthem. And our representative, for example, I'd, I'd never met her, walked up on stage and handed a gift and she came back and I asked Missy actually who she was and she explained that she's a runner, she's a double amputee. I had no idea, none. And that also was fabulous. People who, and many people I saw were severely disabled, but they were serious athletes and I was quite, quite impressed with it. It was just exciting to be there among everybody who, you know, they were there for a purpose and they were on a mission and um, you couldn't help but be infected with it, if you will. <laughs> and Roz, how did Dale do? Dale did great. Um, <laughs> first day, she was a little nervous to say the least and the horse was a little nervous and she had unfortunately the bad luck to be like the fourth rider in. But, you know, she did okay and recovered from her mistakes and uh, it was fine, and we competed every other day, which was kind of odd when you're used to horse showing, but it was it was also nice. It took a little pressure off. Second test, she got she improved by five percentage points, and uh, when we got to the freestyle, which was her last test, honest, honestly, she never rode it better than that. She was spot on and got a nice big score, got a 69-plus percent, and was on top of the leaderboard for half the class, which was Truly a thrill. I took pictures of the scoreboard. I was so excited to see it. And then Becca came along and she beat her and we had USA USA up on the top for quite a while, which was just fabulous. Now, Roz, and can you tell us what, uh, what you can take away from, you know, going to that uh, competition and uh, maybe what the U.S. has to do uh, going on from here? Well, there were two things that really impressed me because as a trainer, I had never seen any other para athletes other than ours. And we have good riders. I mean, don't mistake me, you know, what I'm saying. But the quality of horses blew me away. It was no, They were no different than what we see in our able bodies. These, they were fabulous horses. And they have to have exceptional character, no doubt. But what I expected to see were nice, medium horses with good training. And I saw way more than that. So that was really quite impressive. I thought our our riding skills as a team were right on the mark. But I think we need more European experience, to be perfectly honest. You need to get into the deep end with everybody to improve your game. Um, And, you know, the underlying thing to me, just inspirational thing, is that, and it's something I believe personally myself for my whole career, 
you can pretty much do whatever you want if you're willing to work for it. I mean, it, it just is a grade two writer that Dale wrote against, for example, a German woman who had no legs and missing fingers on her hand. And she rode a hot, strong horse with big gates, not a problem. You know, she would have, and that was, you know, that was tremendous to see. So I think in this country, we need to think of our athletes that way. They need to be appropriate, appropriately mounted in horse character, but they also need to be really good horses, which is, you know, from a trainer point of view, it means you can really train and really teach, which is very, very fun. Well, Roz, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about your journey to London and Dales as well. And congratulations to you both. And we can't wait to see her in Rio. Well, I'll tell you what, we are really excited. Normandy first, we hope. And then from there, we'll see. Well, next up, we have Jenny Carroll, organizer of the National Pony Cup. And that'll be right after this word from Kentucky Performance Products. Joint Armor from KPP provides your horse with the building blocks necessary to maintain healthy joints throughout his lifetime. Kentucky Performance Products Quality Assurance provides you with the confidence that you are purchasing a safe, high-quality product. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Joint Armor is concentrated and affordable. One jar lasts a whole 75 days. Joint Armor helps maintain fluid motion and flexibility in your horse's joints. It also supports normal cartilage development and reduces joint deterioration. Learn more about Joint Armor from Kentucky Performance Products and all their other terrific products at kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the Dressage Radio Show. Thanks for coming on tonight. Well, thank you for letting me come and speak with you this evening. So, Jenny, I met you the, over the weekend at the National Pony Cup that happened at uh, in in conjunction with the Mid South uh, Eventing and Dressage Association annual horse show. And uh, tell us about the Pony Cup. Well, the show is called the National Dressage Pony Cup as its formal name, and it began uh, as an idea between a friend of mine and myself um, when we had gone to the East Coast Pony Cup up in Saugerties, New York. Um, London Gray has a show that um, is for ponies only uh, in dressage um, in conjunction with a show up in Saugerties in the fall, I believe. And this was maybe seven years ago. And after we went to that show, my friend and I, Donna Cook, were sitting around eating dinner, and we said, you know, we could probably have a show like that in the Midwest. I bet we could draw a lot of ponies from our area and some even from further away, we hoped, because it was a more centralized location than on the East Coast. And we thought that ponies deserved an opportunity to perform in dressage um, and be able to compete pony against pony versus being in classes with horses all the time where they may not have as much of an advantage to um, show what they can do. So... We started at Paxton Farm, and we had the first show there, and it was a success. We had maybe 50 ponies that came, some from Kansas and some from uh, North Carolina, and uh, we had people from Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio, obviously, and we had maybe 10 breeds represented at that first show. So we just continued on year after year. We had to move the show from one venue to the next because of um, either a, a closed uh, 
when Paxton's Farms closed, and then we went to Roberts Arena for a couple of years, and then we finally now found a hopefully permanent home with the Mid-South Eventing and Dressage Association show down at the horse park. So the Pony Cup now is in its sixth year, and this past Saturday and Sunday, we had maybe, I think, 15 or 16 different breeds represented, and they competed from intro through um, FEI level, and we gave out many beautiful awards and prizes, and I think everybody had a very good time. So, what is the highest le- what is the highest level that uh, that was competed in in, uh, in this past weekend? This past weekend, there were two ponies that competed in Pre St. George. Uh, in past seasons, we've had ponies competing in Grand Prix and in I one. I don't think uh, we had any I two competition um, over the past few years. But one rider who came from Georgia actually got her gold medal on her pony. Um, when we were, when she uh, did her Grand Prix test, and we've had many people receive their bronze or their silver medals, depending on the rides that they had at the Pony Cup, and all of the classes count towards year-end awards and breed awards, and it's a rated show, and it's sort of a show within a show. So not only do the competitors get to see other ponies and compete against other ponies, but a lot of people who have horses and who might not see ponies so often competing in dressage and may not even realize how well they can do or that there are so many adults who ride ponies and who can um, enjoy that just as much as they can riding a very large horse. Um, You know, it just maybe opens people's eyes to other possibilities. And Jenny, what was the most common breed that competed at the at the uh, Pony Cup? Well, I think this time it was halflingers, I would have to say. Um, we've had a number of them every year competing in dressage, um, anywhere from intro. Uh, the highest level, I think, competed at third level um, this time. And we've had other breeds in great numbers some years. We had a group of fell ponies that came one year. Um, There were maybe about eight of them that came. We had a number of fjords um, who came. So certain times, you know, we'll have a great number of one breed or another represented. We even had an Icelandic pony one year, which was very interesting. We, you know, had a lot of people sort of watching and waiting to see what was going to happen when that pony started trotting. (laughs) <laughs> and it did a very respectable, I think it was a training level test. So um, it was a lot of fun to watch. And uh, what kind of response do you get from the competitors? Do you have them coming back year after year? I mean, I can see if you're a pony breeder, this being you know a, a, a great day to set on your calendar each day. So has it been growing and growing? Yeah, I actually think we've had... Um, Quite a few breeders come. Um, we, and I think the people who come and compete are always very excited that they have a place to you know, show their ponies and I think show them to their best advantage and um, 
maybe feel like they are, you know, more appreciated than they might be at, you know, some other shows that they might go to where they may be the only pony there. Um, I think they feel a great deal of camaraderie. Um, we've had, there's maybe a dozen competitors that I've seen come back year after year after year after year. Um, and they'll keep in touch with me by email or maybe I see them at some shows, you know, in our area um, over the course of the year. And I think they all look forward to coming back every year. And Jenny, how do, how, if, uh, you know, I actually have a pony in the barn. So how would we get involved with, with the organ with the program? Well, uh, the thing is that, you know, you just register when the MSEDA um, show has its uh, prize list up. Um, the Pony Cup is always going to be part of that. There's pony classes listed in that. We have a website, the National Dressage Pony Cup, that lists all of the um, uh, ways that you can sponsor or where you can uh, see all the rules um, about measurements. Um, ponies all have to be measured before they um, go into the Pony Cup. So we have measurement uh, forms that you can download and have prepared. And um, you can certainly contact me. My um, email address is listed on the website as well as my cell phone number in case somebody would like to uh, contact me and uh, ask about the Pony Cup or what they might be able to do. But, you know, primarily it's letting people know in their breed registries, pony breed registries, that this show um, exists and for them to put it on their calendar and make it, you know, part of their yearly schedule. (laughs) So, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, and I hope you bring your pony to the next Pony Cup. Oh, I, I, oh, I am going to. You gave out the best ribbons. Oh, they were so cute. They were like pony heads. Oh, they were the best. Oh, they were so cute. Are you going to ride yeah. it, Reese? Well, well, unfortunately, she just got sold. But yes, I oh. will I will make sure she comes next year. <laughs> and uh, Jenny, can you tell us the website one more time where we can find more information? It's nationaldressageponycup.com. Right after this commercial from Equestrian Collections, we have our trainer tip. Gina Smith is going to talk to us about a warm-up pattern. Hi, Glenn, back with you from the Horse Radio Network. I'm here with Debbie with the Equestrian Collections Product of the Week. This week we're talking about the Equestrian Collection Savvy Shopper email newsletter. Here at Equestrian Collections, we send out a newsletter twice a month with interesting information and really good information from our vets and people around the globe that have good information for your horse and yourself. For instance, one of our employees was involved in the fire in Colorado, and she sent out information on how to prepare for evacuation. So there's all kinds of really pertinent information that we send out in our newsletter. That's twice a month. And every Friday, we send out a sales flyer, so our savvy shoppers get all the updated information about the sales that we have on our website. In order to sign up for Savvy Shopper, you just go to the website, and on the front page, on the home page, down there about halfway down, it says sign up for exclusive emails. 
Now, when you sign up, don't worry about We do not sell your emails. We don't do anything except for send out this information to you, to the email that you give us. And it's very easy if you move or, or anything and you want to change your email address, you can just reply to that and we can take care of it for you. But it has lots of the vet. We have a vet um, on call that actually writes for us. The one where um, our employee was involved with the fires in Colorado, it had a, a companion piece from the vet on what to do about burns. So it's just really pertinent information and that we would like for our customers to have at the tip of their fingers. And I want to also mention that on, in our, on our website, under our help button, you'll have a whole list on the right-hand side of all the older ones that the vet has done and that we've had on there. So if you have a question on, uh, for instance, how hot is too hot to ride, how cold is too cold to ride, what to do about overheating horses, anything like that, it's all right there at your fingertips anytime you want it at www.equestriancollections.com. Hi, Gina. Thanks for coming on the show to do our trainer tip today. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. So, um, we're all waiting. What What is your advice for our riders and listeners? Well, when I first start out with any rider, I really like to make sure that they have a plan, a plan for the day. And generally, they are really a little bit um, sort of not really thinking about what they're going to be doing or how they're going to approach it. And it's it's such an important part of the daily training to have a really good warm-up. So I really impress on my riders that they go through uh, a warm-up pattern. And I give them a basic pattern to ride. And then always I tell them that it can change depending on the horse. If you have a little more um, excitable horse or one that's um, a little fresh, or if you have a lazy horse. So it can change up a little bit, but there is a basic plan that I like them to uh, get started with. So first of all, of course, we just um, get on a walk around and walk straight around the outside of the arena and really try to get a nice, good forward walk on a a loose rein. If the horse is a little bit looking around at stuff, then you want to keep him a little bit more in your contact that you've got uh, something there in case he does have a big spook or something. But uh, generally, they're working at home, so... They're, they're familiar with their surroundings. And straight lines, I think, is really important, really encouraging the horse to walk forward um, both directions of the arena so they have a good look at everything from both ways. Long diagonal lines to change the direction. And um, then we pick up the reins a little bit and get them nicely forward into a, a good working trot. And I like, again, if it's at all possible with the horse and how they're behaving, to go in straight lines around the outside of the arena I like to keep them on the inside track to be sure that uh, the riders are riding both sides of their horses. They're not just uh, sticking on the walls, that they can keep slightly away from the track on the um, long sides as well as on the short end. Um, So we go around the arena both directions, straight lines, uh, changing the arena along a long diagonal, just encouraging the horses to really come forward and get loosened up and get a little warmed up. After they've done um, around each direction, then we start on the circle lines. And it's, it's the large 20-meter circles. In a, in a large arena, 20 by 60 arena, you'd have three circles. And that would be one at uh, either end and one in the middle of the arena, just really stressing that the horses now start to keep the same rhythm on those big circles that they do on the straighter lines. And 
as we're getting going into the warm-up with some nice working trot forward, it's important that they stay really forward, and it's important that the horses start to learn to just stretch down and use their backs and really um, start working their range of motion. The um, direction is then changed, and we do the three big 20-meter circles in the other direction, uh, making sure that the horse is going to be evenly warmed up on, on both sides. So um, every horse has one side that's a little more difficult than the other, so we want to make sure we get them as even as possible into both reins and really listening into both legs. Again, the circles will be done slightly on the inside track, so I would say if it's a 20-meter arena, they're probably 18, 19-meter circles. Again, the long diagonals to change the direction. Um, after these uh, three circles in each direction, so six circles that you've done all, all the, um, completed, we have uh, a big circle at one end of the arena and through sitting trot, um, transition to canter. And same thing in the canter. We do the three 20-meter circles. Uh, depending on the uh, horse, if it's a very green young horse, usually you would bring it back to trot after you've finished a third circle on a circle line. Um, if it's a little more advanced along, we would change the rein across the diagonal at canter, send them nicely forward, and close to the end, the transition to trot, um, riding onto a big circle in the new direction, and then, again, making the horse at, or asking the horse for a canter transition, and doing your three circles the other direction, so a big circle at either end and one in the middle. Um, depending on the horse, you would ride maybe more circles, uh, one way than the other, depending on their their stiffer side, trying to get them to relax and stretch down and really use their backs. Um, again, after the three circles on the, the that direction, you would change the rein across the diagonal. At the end of the diagonal line, a rising trot and a serpentine. And generally, we would do a three-loop serpentine, um, really nice suppling bend changes. So you've you've worked on your horse's rhythm. You're working on the suppleness now, the direction changes, and you're getting the horses to really listen to your aids. It's a, it's a great warm-up for the rider. The rider has to go over their own aids. They're um, changing from one side to the other. Again, just really keeping up a nice forward rhythm, um, getting the horses forward from the inside leg to the outside rein, so you're developing your contact. Um, I would do probably two three-loop serpentines, and depending on the horse, um, possibly a four-loop serpentine, which is also beneficial for a little more suppleness. And then through sitting trot on a straight line down the long side, transition to walk and it's sort of a half-long rein, again, giving them a little breather. And that is really a basic warm-up pattern that I like to see the riders do. We do that with um, younger horses as well as with uh, the older, more advanced horses. And... I think that's just a great pattern to follow. We can add circles if you need to. You can take circles away. If you have a bit of a lazier horse, you want to get them really forward in a straighter line. Um, you just omit one of the circles, maybe the middle circle. You just keep going from one end to the other. Try to send them on down the long side a little bit more to, to just get them really in front of the leg. Um, also, with some of the older horses, they're in that warm-up phase. They're ready to do a little bit of changes of tempo. So you can ask for a little more trot, a little bit steadier trot. Just you, you work a little bit more towards your rideability of your horse and make sure that he's really listening to you for the, for the next session that you'd like to get into. So I really find it's a great pattern. I can walk into my arena every day when I come in to see my students and, and I know exactly where they're going, what they're doing. I know how far along they are in their pattern and their warm-up and um, everybody will 
be able to ride together a lot easier. They they sort of know what the other rider is going, where they have a plan. Um, they just know know the program. So once you get into that program, it's it's very very easy and, and to get the horses nicely warmed up and going, and everybody can just have a good flow going working together. Now, Dina, do you do the same also when you're at a competition? I try to do the same at a competition, of course. It's always a little bit trickier. You have to really really watch for the other riders. Um, of course, not all the riders know my plan. So um, if you have your own plan, you can adjust it. You can always say, okay, I'm banking a big circle. Oh, but there's some riders over there, so I'll do a, a direction change. So you're very flexible, but you still have your basic plan in the back of your mind. Um, it, it's always worked for me. Um, I, I see my, my students when they get to competition that they know the basic plan, they have a good um, warm-up, and if something does come into their way, they can say, okay, I can just keep flowing, keep going. The main thing is to be able to be able to keep a good flow in your warm-up that, that, that the horse can really get forward to your aids. Now, Gina, I've seen um, some riding at your place, and I know some of your students and, and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Something that strikes me as uh, important and something that I that I took into my riding a little bit, and you touched on it briefly, but maybe you can talk about it a little bit more, is riding off of the track or off of the wall a little bit. I think for me that's yeah. really helped a lot of horses, and maybe you want to just uh, reiterate that point and why you do it and what you're looking for a little bit. Yeah, riding on the inside track is, is just something that I can't stress enough, and I'm constantly saying it to my riders. They seem to want to gravitate towards the wall. The horses like to sort of hug the walls, and they find a little security with the balance there and if you ride off the wall or ask your riders to go off the wall suddenly they're like serpentining and swerving down the long side and they can't keep them straight and it's um one of the steps of the of the training scale is straightness and not to say that you're you know even if it is one of the last steps of of the training you're still working on it when you're doing some basic exercises so the wall tends to do a lot of the riding sometimes, I find. And if you have your riders come off the track, they really see how little they're using their outside aids, their outside leg and their outside rein. So um, to be able to ride the horses more forward, it keeps them straighter. Um, the, the riders will become better in a forward manner. And they'll become also, when you get to an outdoor ring or in, in your competitions where you where you don't have that indoor arena wall, they'll be much, much easier to keep the horses where they want, want to go. They won't be sort of drifting left and right. They'll really have um, the horses accessed on both sides and in both legs, both reins, much better. And it's it's a constant thing. I keep having to tell people to get away from the track, right on the inside track. So, Gina, typically, how long does your warm-up plan last? I would say between, oh, 12, 15 minutes. That's usually what it is. And are there days where you just kind of stay in the warm-up phase, or do you always Mm -hmm. kind of progress? No, there are some days when I say, let's just ride two warm-up patterns. And so you'd ride it, have a little walk break, and then ride it again. And maybe in the second pattern you would ask for a little more tempo um, changes, like you would just work towards a, a bigger trot, a little steadier trot, maybe make some smaller circles, add some, some smaller circles, but really encouraging horses to stretch. So it's not always every day that you work them fully through um, any routine. Certainly the, the young horses, the four- and five-year-olds, can have you know a day when it's just a single warm-up pattern and then go hacking. Um, it's it's always something that I, I really like to make sure that they've, they've done, that they've checked out every day, that they've got their aids 
working well and the horses are listening. But yeah, for sure, you can just do like two warm-up patterns and then be done. Wonderful. Thank you, Gina, so much for your trainer tip and your expertise. Um, Where can people find you on the the web? I have a website. It's uh, franklandsfarm.com. And, um, yeah, you can find me on there. Our email address is on there. And uh, I welcome anybody to come and look at the site. It's a beautiful property that I have here that owned by Faith Burkheis that I get to work on. And it's, it's a lovely place. So I'm very yeah. lucky. Philip, I am super excited to try that warm-up plan tomorrow. Denali, here we come. We are doing, our, we're doing it. I'm, I can't wait to report next week. I think it really helps young horses especially because, you know, when they're a little bit excited – you got you got a plan, right? So I think that's what yep. Gina was talking about, having a plan and get them, using it to get them relaxed day in and day out. Yeah, I think it was great. And, and doing it in a competition so everybody knows what's going coming and what you need to do, I think it's great. So um, that was that was fun, and I, I look forward to doing it. And everyone is riding off the wall tomorrow. That's my new thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> harder than it seems, I think, for, yes. for a lot of riders. But uh, it's a good challenge. It is. So you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website at dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search for the Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Collections and Kentucky Performance Products. And don't forget to check out all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody keep your heels down and your shoulders back and we will talk to you next week. Bye.